Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This On Air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's guest is Lisa Neely. She's a partner and attorney in the firm's Trusts and Estates Group. She focuses her practice on elder law with an emphasis on Medicaid applications and appeals, estate and special needs planning, probate administration, and guardianship and conservatorship proceedings. Lisa and I will be talking about today issues, and there are many of them, involving nursing homes amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And we'll also touch on Mass Health. Lisa Neely, welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Thank you. So let's start things off with uh, nursing homes, uh, for better or for worse right now are the flashpoints right now in this COVID-19 pandemic. And I know you deal deeply in this issue. What are some of the big issues that folks should know about right now? What I've been seeing with my client, um, with my client base now are a few different things. You know, one obviously is the restriction on visitations. So for family members that have a loved one in a nursing home, because of the COVID-19 crisis, they cannot go in and visit these family members. So that's obviously creating many different challenges and just a lot of hurt feelings. And and it's just been very challenging for families. Some nursing homes have, are better equipped than others at setting up like virtual visits or, um, you know, I've heard of like people visiting their loved ones through like a window and things like that. And just being able to monitor what's going on with their health and so forth. So that's obviously a huge challenge right now. And then, you know, another one, sadly, is, you know, many residents passing away or outbreaks in facilities of the virus and just getting the information to the family members, um, you know, when an outbreak exists and how many um, residents are affected and how the testing procedures are are being implemented and so forth. Like I've heard from a number of families where if a facility wasn't equipped enough to do the testing, like the National Guard has been brought in to assist with those efforts, which can obviously be like really alarming and concerning to families. And it's just creating, you know, so much chaos and confusion, you know, coupled with the fact that nobody can go in and visit their loved one. Um, So, you know, those are just some of the like, you know, the care related issues um, that I've been seeing. You know, the other thing is, you know, just trying to, if an individual needs to transfer to a nursing home or is looking for placement because say they're in the community and they have some health related issues that require them to be in a nursing home, it's been really difficult, you know, to place or transfer those individuals um, just because of all the restrictions in the different facilities, especially those that have outbreaks. And, you know, like informally, you know, from my perspective, and obviously I don't have like a census or anything, but, you know, so many different nursing homes, virtually all the ones where I have um, clients at, you know, or have heard of having some sort of outbreak, um, whether it be large scale or more contained. So that's putting a lot of restrictions on um, admissions and transfers and things like that, which can affect people that need care and just can't get in, be admitted to a facility right now. We've been hearing a lot of these in the news. What do you do to try to solve, if indeed many of these are even solvable, these issues? So some of it is just reaching out, you know, having the family try to work with a geriatric care manager who 
geriatric care managers are privately retained social workers that advocate for the family in, uh, you know, in the nursing home that has a loved one in the nursing home. So it's either having a geriatric care manager try to reach out to the nursing home, get someone on the phone that can talk to them and help facilitate some communication between the family and the resident, um, you know, maybe assist with transfer or placement issues like reach out to various nursing homes and see if they're accepting new residents or they have beds available. To be honest, a lot of things are really stalled right now, and it's kind of a, beyond the control of a lot of advocates, you know, ner- you know, whether it be attorneys or geriatric care managers to remedy just because of all the, the like, the lockdowns and restrictions in the facilities. You know, I've heard of some facilities initiating, like, Zoom calls or Skype calls between residents, and some facilities have been you know, really amenable or compliant with uh, remote notarization. So like a resident in a facility needs a document signed, you know, an attorney can, you know, reach out and make contact and help facilitate that process now that, you know, Massachusetts has the ability or has passed the ability to do remote notarizations of documents, um, not, you know, in physical presence of a notary. So just some of those things, but it, it has been really difficult. And I think a lot of it is just completely stalled and beyond the control of an individual advocate. It's more just like making families aware of the issues and kind of reinforcing that this is just a really difficult time and you kind of, in a certain sense, have to wait for it to blow over somewhat at different facilities as they're phasing out of their, um, you know, their outbreaks and they've gotten it under control, then those you see that those facilities are then going to be more open up to, you know, transfers and things like that. In the vast majority of cases in nursing homes in Massachusetts, MassHealth, or the name for the Medicaid program in Massachusetts, is the payer of the nursing home bill, so to speak, for these folks. And you do quite a bit of work and you concentrate in MassHealth what mass health issues have you seen in terms of the whole COVID-19 pandemic as they relate to nursing homes right now? Um, so it's definitely accurate that mass health is a huge payment source for residents in nursing homes in, in the state. And when this pandemic started, you know, we had or, you know, many residents could have been in the process of applying for mass health benefits um, or needing to financially qualify for benefits. And that the most part hasn't stopped or you know been altered in any way. So individuals who still need to financially qualify for mass health, there's no like reprieve period that's been implemented to say, okay, well, you know, we're gonna put this on pause for now and give your advocate or your attorney more time to submit a mass health application. So I think it's made it more challenging just because you have a lot of, you know, constraints on people's access getting financial records and other documentation needed for mass health applications, whereas those applications are continuing to just go forward in their typical manner with the deadlines still in place on when you have to file applications to get benefits retroactively awarded, you know, when you have to file, uh, say, if you ha- if you get a denial, when you have to file for an appeal that time period has been extended, but appeals haven't been put on hold. So if you have a mass health appeal scheduled, it's still going forward, you know, albeit on the phone. So I think that that, especially if you have a family trying to navigate the mass health process on their own, you know, and they're trying to get bank statements, other financial documentation, that has been very, very challenging. You know, one thing to keep in mind for families is that 
make sure you're abiding by all the deadlines with these applications for appealing, you know, so that you can keep all your retroactive benefits in place and things because there's been no reprieve on that issue um, with MassHealth. Are the uh, MassHealth customer service folks and the so-called MassHealth enrollment centers, they are, I take it, still open for business but not in person. Is that right? Yeah, my understanding is that all the mass health enrollment centers are closed or that they may be operating on a skeleton staff and, mm-hmm. you know, but they're otherwise closed to the public and that a lot of the caseworkers are either on a skeleton staff or working remotely. But, you know, I have to say that the caseworkers have been, you know, in all the cases I've been dealing with, you know, throughout this crisis have been, you know, really responsive, which is great because it keeps things moving along. Um, and there's been more of a shift maybe to, like, email correspondence, which is helpful as opposed to, like, telephone calls if people aren't in the office and so forth. You know, those are some of the changes. Like, if you try to go in person, that's not going to be effective. But still, you know, I haven't tried to call. But if you have an individual caseworker that you have a number for, it's been my experience that they've been responsive. You know, maybe a little bit delayed, but um, that seems to be, you know, being managed fairly well. Some folks may be listening to this and thinking, hmm, you know, I'm going to need to apply for MassHealth and uh, particularly ASAP. The applications in particular for nursing home long-term care are incredibly complex. What are the basic eligibility requirements, though, if uh, folks are wondering? Very accurate to say it's incredibly complex, especially for nursing home eligibility. Um, You know, MassHealth is generally, especially for seniors over age 65 and disabled individuals, eligibility is like is typically broken out in two categories. Like the first category, I say, is community-based benefits. Like if you need MassHealth under you know a certain program and you're not in a nursing home and then you know nursing home eligibility or benefits so for nursing home eligibility the basic rules are that if you're a single person you qualify for benefits um, if you have if you're over 65 you're you need nursing home care if you have less than $2000 in countable assets and that includes like cash you know, money in the bank, life insurance policies, 401ks, anything that has a cash surrender value. So you have to have less than 2000 and they'll mass health permits you to keep a home. So they don't count your home. Um, as long as the equity value is under a certain amount, which I believe in Massachusetts is around $800,000. But if you have your home in your own name, mass health can put a lien on it to recover benefits that's paid for you during your lifetime after you pass away. So those are the rules for a single person. And then, you know, another big rule is about transfer or uh, periods or lookbacks. If you've given away money or assets, you're generally ineligible for a period of time um, for, of five years. So it's, there's a five-year look-back period on transfers. Um, so that's another really important rule to keep in mind. You know, we see that a lot where someone could be pretty close to being financially eligible on paper, but then they've, like, given away money, which causes problems with ineligibility periods and and things of that nature for mass health. 
And those are just so, some, yeah, those are just some of the requirements. I just wanted to interject for one second, Lisa, that although we're going through the basic requirements for long-term care applications and also community folks living at home, we, the listener doesn't want to rely solely on this discussion because they, the applications are uh, pretty much a labyrinth of extreme complexities. That's very true that these are just the basic rules. In my many years of doing these applications or just looking at people's financial situations, at no, no one ever falls into like the basic category of, you know, this is straight, pretty straightforward. I mean, there's always some sort of exception or, you know, reason why the application can become complicated. Somebody could have given away money like three years prior. That could complicate it. So it's really not like a one-size-fits-all scenario. And in my experience, everyone is different, and it's always good to get it looked at, um, especially if there's anything remotely that could cause a question with the financial eligibility. Because applying too soon or submitting an application that's not ready can also have huge ramifications for eligibility, which in turn can create problems with the, with the nursing home. Exactly. So for a married couple, the rules are a, a bit more permissive or generous, so to speak, just recognizing that, you know, obviously the, the spouse staying at home who called this community spouse doesn't want to become impoverished when um, their their loved one goes into a nursing home. So for a married couple, um, the house is obviously protected as long as it's put into the community spouse's name, which is it's a really important requirement. You know, at a minimum, you have to get a deed done transferring that house to the, the partner who's staying at home. And then for financial assets, the limit is roughly one hundred and twenty-eight to $130,000. Um, and that's countable assets between both spouses. So they pool the assets together if you're married, even if you have like a 401k in your name. Um, that's considered, you know, your your ill spouse's asset as well. And within these basic financial rules, there's especially for a married couple, there's just so many um, different exceptions that apply or ways of otherwise reducing assets that appear countable to, um, to qualify for benefits. And that's where it's really helpful to have, you know, somebody looking at this and, and you know, not getting misinformation from, you know, like a well-meaning nursing home caseworker or, you know, talking to like your friend of somebody that applied for benefits at one point. It's just very complex and it's always changing and the rules are just very different depending on your individual financial circumstance. Exactly. Now, let's shift gears yeah. just a little bit, Lisa, obtaining home care benefits for those folks who yeah. want to stay at home. So home care is a whole nother area of mass health that's it's very complicated and i always say that i i find the home care applications to be almost as difficult if not more difficult than the nursing home applications just because with the home care applications the financial rules could be you know for some people a little bit easier or more relaxed but you have to get approved for a certain number of clinical hours so if you need like an aid at home and if you financially qualify for the mass health benefit, you then need to, you know, get to the second hurdle of finding either an agency that would provide home care and come in and accept the mass health benefits or, you know, qualifying through the elder services program to get um, your mass health benefits implemented that way and qualify in that, in that sense. And the two 
primary programs that I see individuals that, that are at home qualify for most frequently are uh, one is called the Frail Elder Waiver Program, which is a mass health program, and the other one is the PACE program, which is typically administered by Fallon, and that provides like a range of services like adult day health centers and things of that nature. I know that currently I've heard of individuals that have home care services. If somebody in the home or an aide, you know, tests positive for the virus, that can definitely cause delays and you know, services being implemented or, you know, put a pause on services in the home, which is creating a lot of issues for families that need the services. I wouldn't imagine that day adult day health centers are open. And I'm not 100% certain on, on how that's working right now. Sure. And I just want to mention again that uh, so many of these application issues are complex. They're doable, but they're very complex. So always uh, work with a quote-unquote professional to do your application and really think things through uh, when it comes to mass health, home care, nursing home, under 65, over 65 applications. Um, and, And we really appreciate your summary of all of the factors, Lisa. I just want to also ask you, because you deal in this area as well, about the importance of having a healthcare proxy and a power of attorney. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? So, a healthcare proxy is a document where you appoint an agent to make healthcare decisions for you if you're unable to do that yourself. And those documents come into play if you have a debilitating illness and you can't communicate healthcare decisions to your doctor. And why those are so important, especially now, is if you did become very ill, say with COVID or another another illness, and you don't have a healthcare proxy, the only way that somebody can make medical decisions for you is then to go to court and get a guardianship. And in non-COVID times, you know, getting a guardianship can be a very complicated and costly endeavor. And now the courts are closed, and the, including the probate courts, and they're hearing emergency matters only. So if somebody needs an emergency temporary guardianship, that's presumably, you know, qualifies as an emergency, to, you know, to go into court and get, you know, a hearing on that, or at least a telephonic hearing. But there's just such a delay in all those proceedings. So it's causing a lot of, you know, huge delays for individuals needing this kind of relief. So I I think it just underscores how important it is to have a healthcare proxy and that document is, you know, the very, very basic. And then a power of attorney is similar in that it appoints an agent to make financial decisions if you're not able to do that yourself. And this is really important, especially in these current times, if you got sick and say your spouse needed to call and make some sort of election on your 401k plan or communicate about unemployment benefits or health insurance or disability insurance, anything like that, they typically need a power of attorney to do that. And just being you know, married, for example, doesn't give someone that right to make those decisions. So these are just standard basic documents that, you know, in a situation like this with a limited access to courts and, you know, there's a lot of you know, people are getting sick and not being able to go to the bank or make these decisions. It just highlights how important this is to have these documents done. For sure. Well, as we wrap up here with Lisa Neely from Myrick O'Connell, uh, Lisa, any last words regarding any of what we've talked about? I think just telling people that it's just reinforcing, especially for families that with relatives in nursing homes, that it's just such a difficult time. And 
I hear from just so many different families and my heart goes out to them because of all the struggles they have and um, not seeing loved ones at the end of their life. And, you know, it's just a very challenging time right now. And, you know, if in any way I can be helpful in just providing like even this general discussion about things to be aware of, hopefully give someone some peace of mind. But, you know, just my thoughts are with everyone with a loved one in a nursing home that is dealing with this virus. Thanks so much, Lisa. Lisa Neely, how can folks contact you, speaking of that, if they have questions or concerns? My number is on the Myra O'Connell website. And, you know, I'm working and, you know, any email correspondence I return is as quickly as I'm able and, you know, phone messages as well. Thanks, Lisa. And again, thank you for taking the time to join us today. You can learn how Lisa and her colleagues at the firm can assist you with your business and personal legal needs by visiting the website that Lisa just mentioned, myrickoconnell.com. I'm Howard Kaplan. On behalf of everybody at Myrick O'Connell, take care and most importantly, stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. 